I started just sketching what I did. I was working at a pizzeria in Atlanta, Georgia, and I dropped out of art school. And so what I, I committed uh, to do a small painting or at least paint every night. So I would work mm. eight to 10 hours a day at this pizzeria. Uh, and then I would go home and paint for about five hours a day. And I mean, I was loving life, but I was exhausted. But I was just doing because that was my life. We can even go further back than that. But really? that was when I was trying to discover who am I? Is art my life? Because I'm no longer going to school. So I was just exploring all sorts of things. I'm Reg Ferguson, and I'm a fashion consultant from New York City, born and raised. I've been helping men look fly for years. And now I want to help you learn more about menswear, the entrepreneurs, the brands, and top fashion tips on the Fashion Geek Podcast. When I was a kid, I thought I could draw. I would watch my friends at school, and they would start drawing, and it looked so cool. So I wanted to do the same thing. I would try, but it wasn't as good as my friends. My mom bought me a sketch pad and some food-colored pencils, and I would draw. But I sensed I wasn't close to the skill level of my classmates. My mom wanted to confirm it, so she had me take a class at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. She and I would take the train every Saturday, early in the morning. I realized after taking the class, drawing wasn't for me. Thank you, Mom, for exploring and pursuing I later found out I had other creative interests. Probably started from but what is it like to have not only an interest in drawing, but a skill that you can get paid by? Yo, this is Reg Ferguson, fashion geek number one. How are you? Welcome to the ride. Thank you so much for listening. I'm a men's fashion consultant here in New York City, and I help fashion challenge men Go from confused to confident. Consider me a personal trainer for fashion. If you ever found yourself staring at the closet, not knowing what to wear, or if the idea of shopping for clothes makes you feel physically ill, then this is the show for you. My goal with every episode is to help you learn more about the people behind the brands and to help make looking good feel easy. If you ever want my help, email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. If you have a friend who's looking to level up his fashion style wardrobe game, please share an episode with them. While you're at it, if you dig the show and haven't already left us a rating and review, please consider doing so now. Your shares, ratings, and reviews help us grow the show and help us get the best possible guest and help more men dress their best. Today, we're going to talk with Sunflower Man, who's in Fort Worth, Texas, and he and I are going to talk about something that the everyday man should be interested in. We're going to talk about men's fashion and watches through the eye of an artist. Sunflower Man in the building. Hello, hello. You were just talking about best possible guests, and I think, uh, I think we just peaked. Oh, wow. Well, this is the second episode of the new year. So 
Is this downhill? Is that is that what you're saying? No, no, you're gonna level off. You you peak you peak with sunflower man, and then you just kind of level off. It's not downhill. It's more like a mesa. You just <laughs> go steady. Spoken well from someone in the Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, here in uh, here in Fort Worth, Texas, though, it's all flat anyway. There's no uphill or downhill. Oh, okay. Well, I tried. I was like, all right, Arizona, Mesa, Texas. Yeah, you, know, you head a little bit west, and you you start running into those mesas, those buttes. <sighs> it's a different world out there. So, are you keeping safe out there? How's everything? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, it's Texas, so I mean, I, sorry, Reginald. I don't know how much. Uh, you consider to be politics or how much you talk on the, on the pod, but I'm in Texas and it's a, uh, it's a no mask zone here. Uh, so I basically just, you know, walk from home to the studio and back again. And that's uh that's my general life. Wow. So before we go into our topic, please tell us. So what do you do? So what do you, so what do, you, do, you, do? you do? Yeah, let me introduce myself. I am Sunflower Man, if you haven't heard of me before. I am an illustrator. I paint with watercolors, typically. And uh, I feature a lot of fashion and watches. Those are kind of my main focus. Uh I don't know. I don't know. That's just about it. I'm a fashion artist. We'll just leave it there in, in all of its uh, domains. I like that fashion artist. That's smooth. Maybe it's taken me a, a long time to workshop it, though. Well, this is all this is all a path. And it's funny you say that because when I did research on you, I started from your beginnings. So don't be I'm, surprised. I'm excited. Yeah. Don't be surprised. If I hit you with something and go, happy to because to me, to me, you have to start with the beginning. That's real. Uh, I want to know how far back you went. Well, I'm going to keep it real. I went as far back as I could. And particularly if we talk about Instagram, I Oof. went from your first post, dog. All right. All right. You're going to have to share that photo somewhere because I can't even scroll back. Like it takes forever for Instagram to load when you go that far back. So I don't know how you made it. I'm excited to see it, what that uh, post one is. One swipe at a time, bro. On yeah. my uh, <laughs> on my iPad Pro, just you're like three hours later. We're dogged, man. Research is our business. Mm. So, All right. It, are there any, any interesting nuggets from uh, from that far back? Well, yeah. I mean, let, let's let's get into it. Yes. So your first post, essentially was I don't know I mean like 2012 oh yeah early so I accidentally got on Instagram early days I didn't know it was early days I had a photographer friend who's like oh man there's this super cool app and I had an Android device back then mm -hmm. and or no I, I guess I guess I was using an iPhone I had to because early days it was only iPhone uh, so I had probably just, I was borrowing my, my roommate's iPhone. That's what it was. So I could use Instagram and, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember what it would have been. I remember a lot of, uh, posts about the desserts that I was prepping at the restaurant I worked at and then maybe coffee and then whatever I was sketching. That's what I remember. 
Your first fashion illustration was March 10th, 2012. Oof. Just saying. You've come a long way. And you literally have. I literally looked at the progression. Yeah. And, you know, this is the beauty of someone on the outside looking in. You're you're in the forest. So, <laughs> yeah. but I literally, and I'm, I want to be very clear to you, much less our audience. I am not an art critic, but I can see the evolution of your style 10 years later. There's no question. Mm. You've, you've hit for right now, you've hit a groove and it doesn't mean that you won't again evolve, but you have a very signature style now, but back then you were just trying to find your way. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that too. Cause I remember, hold on one second. I'm sorry. Apologies. Life is being lived here. Uh, yeah. Way back, way back when uh, I had um, 20, 2012, I jo- that might've been right when I dropped out of uh, art school for the second time. And I remember dropping out and thinking, who am I? What am I going to do? Right. You go on this journey of you're put in elementary school and then middle school and high school for all of the U S audience. And you go on this journey and then you're expected to go into university. That's the next step. And I remember going into university art school, which is hardly university. Uh, I went to art school, dropped out because it felt like uh, high school 2.0, except I was paying for it. So then <laughs> I tried to go to a different school that was uh, supposedly better. And it was, and, but I still felt like, wow, I'm paying even more money now. And it's still basically high school. I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. So I dropped out again and I was lost. What do you do when the path is broken, when you're not following the steps that society lays out for you? And so I just started exploring. I started just sketching what I did. I was working at a pizzeria in Atlanta, Georgia, and I dropped out of art school. And so what I, I committed uh, to do a small painting or at least paint every night. So I would work Mm. eight to 10 hours a day at this pizzeria. uh, And then I would go home and paint for about five hours a day. And I mean, I was loving life, but I was exhausted, but I was just doing, because that was my life. We can even go further back than that. But that was when I was trying to discover who am I? Is art my life? Because I'm no longer going to school. So I was just exploring all sorts of things. Mm. So, I mean, I think you just hit on something. You were trying to figure out who you were, who you are, through your life experiences. Yeah, right. And you're not the only individual who is an artist that people know that, one, either don't even go to art school, much less flunk out of art school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you well, look, I was a great Kendall student. College of Art and Design, and then Ooh, you went you to Savannah it. College of Art and Design, correct? Yeah, where, I want to know where you found that Kendall nugget because that's not really out there. People don't know that. Bro, I told you I do research on my yeah. <laughs> We want to make this worth your while, and I'm glad to have stumped you. Yeah, well, I, I have a guess, but whatever. It's KCAD and then SCAD. That's how we, that's how we say it. Oh, because the words are terrible. <laughs> the acronyms, are, but they're so much easier to say. They're rough. Oh my God. Yeah. I would just spell them. I would spell both of those out. Right. Well, I mean, so it was Kendall College of Art and Design of Ferris State University or KCAD. So I just went with KCAD. Oof. Yeah. It's clunky. 
which yeah. is funny for a school of art and design. Yeah, right. You'd think they would have uh, kind of streamlined it, made it a bit more uh, aesthetically pleasing to say, but no. Not everyone could be RISD. Well, that's that's true. R- RISD has the rep for a reason. <laughs> did you, how did it feel to drop out of your first art school? And then how did it feel to drop out of a second art school? The first one was demoralizing. I was the only one in my family going to, to post, um, post, uh, what do you call it? What primary school? Yeah. Doing any form of higher education. So I, and the way I just said that, it seems like I really need that higher education so I can learn how to talk better. (laughs) Uh, but I was the only one going. And so I, I was really proud of myself. It was probably a lot of an ego trip, but then all of my friends that I made were now going to school. And I was like, I can't afford this anymore. I'm slowly dropping classes so I could afford to be there. And I was like, but I'm, I'm, I'm great at school. I was always good at school. Top five in my class in high school. I had uh, great grades at Kendall. Even when I went to SCAD, I had great grades. The school part I, I had down, but the purpose part, it didn't make any sense anymore. And But it was demoralizing to be the one who's who's not in class anymore. And it's... You, I felt lost in a lot of ways. I always knew I was going to be an artist. Like that was, that was in me before I had any conscious choice. Uh, but yeah, demoralizing was how it felt. How did, so that's how you felt. How did your family feel? Oh, they, they didn't care. My, my parents had, had no expectations on us. So me going to school was great for them. Me not going to school was fine. Like they didn't care either way. Oh, Okay. So yeah. then how did it feel when this happens a second time? The second time actually felt liberating in a way. I was still trying to find myself afterward. I was discovering what did it mean to be me when I'm not following the path, but it was so much easier to drop out the second time. Uh, <laughs> so much easier. I've done this. I could do it again. Right. Right. And, and at that point I had moved to Atlanta. I, I was uh, 20 years old, moved, I drove down to Atlanta. I packed up a Dodge Grand Caravan 96 and had all my belongings in there. First night in Atlanta, car broken into windshield smash, lost my computer. Uh, it, it was a, it was a wake up call to what a bigger real city was like. Right. Um, I was basically homeless for about a month. And then one guy I met was like, dude, come, come live in this house with me with a bunch of these college guys from Georgia Tech, which basically meant I was in this, this kind of subsection of the basement where the owner <laughs> put up some plyboards and I had nothing. I didn't have a bed. I was sleeping on the floor. Um, I was painting all the time. I knew that was who I was. That's part of the reason I always knew I was going to be an artist. Even when I had literally nothing, I was still painting and drawing. That, was, that is the heart of me. Um, but I had all of that going on. And then I made it into school back at SCAD. I was like, okay, I, I figured that out. I can drop out of SCAD and I don't have a problem. Okay. So to me, there's some interesting timing going on and you're going to provide clarification. You always knew you were going to be an artist. 
maybe you didn't know what realm, but you knew the actual application. This is this is what you're born to do. So like any person in their 20s, they're trying to figure stuff out. Also, at that time, correct me if I'm wrong. From a personal standpoint, it doesn't seem like you had any interest in men's fashion. <laughs> you could figure that out. <laughs> well, you know, these glasses work pretty well. <laughs> uh, yeah, zero. Like my life now is a complete 180 from my life uh, growing up in Michigan, except for the fact that I've been drawing my entire life. But I had zero connection to fashion in any way, except I was wearing clothes. I was, <laughs> I was where I had cloth on my body. Um, but yeah, no, no connection to fashion, no connection to watches, no connection to any sense of what it meant to appreciate the qualities of life. And that that's like really well cooked food, uh, well prepared coffee. Nicely made clothes, the care and design and manufacturing of a I had zero connection to any of it. And yes, you you pegged me, uh, those early Instagram photos especially, like really show off my lack of knowledge. So unlike myself, it sounds like you had no family influence in those realms. Yeah, so- I'm going to say no. I... I always you know hold that like one percent of there was probably something somewhere but i'm gonna say no like i can't trace it anywhere right nothing apparent so not like in my case it was my grandpa and also my grandma and my mom immediate constant examples that have led me to pursue what i'm pursuing now but for you out there in grand rapids not so much not so much so how did it start yeah, I've tried to trace, I've, really, I've tried to trace this. And occasionally I can I can come up with like, okay, maybe this started it and that started it. I have to give my friend Michael McLaughlin some credit, a high school friend who's now living in Boston. He was into the Tumblr game, that hashtag menswear universe. This must have been 2011. It's so like really early on the Tumblr. Mm. 2011, 2010? Oh man, it must have been 2010. Because I remember I was at school and we would we would go get lunch together sometimes. We were at different schools, but both downtown Grand Rapids, and we would get lunch. And he was talking about like being on Tumblr and finding these interesting suits or whatever. I, I don't even remember what it was because I had no connection. I just remember him talking about it. And then two years later, I'm in Atlanta. I drop out of art school. I start painting people I know who were fashionable just because I wanted to paint portraits, but that seemed interesting. So I painted my friend in his suits because he was really into it. And then just other people around Atlanta, um, uh, people in New York I found who were interesting. And that started me down this road of really investigating fashion in, in a way I never had before in my life. So you're sketching people and, you know, they're wearing classic menswear what do you think, I'm not saying it's one clear-cut example or epic of time, but when did you say, hey, maybe I should get a sport jacket? Maybe I should the, the, Maybe I yeah, should yeah. coordinate an outfit. Like, when did you start trying to fuzzily feel that out? 
that I can trace that back because I was working at the pizzeria, like I was saying before in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were trying to do some outreach for catering, catering's big business for restaurants. So I was sent out to go investigate opportunities. So I was going to all these business parks and knocking on doors and I needed to look presentable. So I was like, okay, I'll go to, I mean, it must've been like Ross or TJ Maxx. And I got myself a jacket and a tie. Uh, well, actually, well, I was actually working at Home Goods before I worked at the pizzeria. And I was a great employee, so I got gift cards for being a great employee. So I was able to use those to start getting the jackets for the pizzeria <laughs> so that yeah. I could go door to door. Because Home Goods, TJ Maxx are all part of the same company. So you could take from Home Goods, go to TJ Maxx and, and buy that way. Uh, and so, yeah, I was going and buying things. I had no idea really what I was buying. I was just trying out anything and everything that felt like it might be professional. Hmm. So like really all of us, you were flying blind, experimenting. Yeah. And you're in Atlanta, which I don't want to disregard one could argue is a fashionable city. Yeah. I think it's a lot more fashionable than I had realized at the time, especially in the circles I was running in. These were like indie hipster musicians who didn't, Mm. were not part of the world I was beginning to explore. Uh, They were, they were kind of artistic, right? They were running in artistic crowds, but they were, uh, usually up super late at bars, just wearing uh, kind of grunge indie clothing, which awesome that I have that exposure as well. But that was the opposite of the universe I was beginning to become interested in. So, right, you have Sid Mashburn in Atlanta. And yes. I had only ever, before I moved away, I'd only ever been once or twice. When I walked in, I was like, oh, Sid Mashburn's so cool. I walked in, they could have cared less that I was there. Like I walked in, tried to talk to people and they looked at me and basically ignored me. I, I do not have, like, I respect Sid Mashburn as a company. I could care less to ever go into Sid Mashburn again because my experience was so terrible at that early stage when I was trying to learn more. Um, right. Which would have been a really fertile and great opportunity if they weren't so dismissive. And I'm really shocked and surprised to hear that because he did a pop-up here in New York a few months ago. And matter of fact, I'm going to reach out to his marketing guy because I'd like to get him on the pod. And they couldn't have been more neighborly and welcoming. Yeah. I I mean, I I probably didn't know the right questions. I didn't know anything. (laughs) Uh, I don't don't know. But I I really felt so alienated. Um, So I, I went out and explored other avenues of fashion. In Atlanta, and then I started to get to know a couple of people. Rashamal uh, Bloodman. I, I have to reach out to him again, but he's he's a cool guy from uh, not from Atlanta, but he was living in Atlanta at the time. He may still be there, and we connected, and he helped me explore fashion a bit more. And I have to really shout out Marcus Troy because in these early days, I was uh, ways I was ex- finding finding out about fashion was I would find people who were interesting, and I would paint them, and I would reach out to them and say, hey. Uh, I want to do an illustration of you because I was already good at art, right? So that part I didn't have a problem with. But for me to explore fashion, I would do it through illustration. And so I want to do this illustration of you. Is that okay? And so Marcus called me up right away. Marcus uh, Troy 
um, really kind of an OG in the blogger space and men's fashion up there in Toronto. And he was like one of my early entrees into the world. And, and similarly, Angel Ramos was kind of that early entree for me into the world of menswear, very, very open and welcoming. Uh, so those two were kind of like early, early for me inspirations um, to get to get more knowledge. Like when I went to Sid Mashburn, they could have cared less. But when I talked to Angel and Marcus, they were really down. I think they both saw an opportunity to connect with an artist as well. Like I, I can't dismiss that, but they were they wanted to share what they knew. And I was able to get so much out of that. So they kind of scooped you up. Yeah. And nurtured you. And... I, yeah. I, from afar, I think Marcus more so, I think, uh, actually took personal interest in, in care. Uh, but yeah, they were, they were both welcoming and open to, to helping me learn. So citing those two individuals and like you said, you, you also, you took initiative, you reached out and they were open, they were receptive. Yeah. How do we go from there to you deciding I'm going to illustrate well-dressed men in this classic menswear space? Yeah, I think you probably will recognize since you went back on the Instagram. Early on, I was painting on these vintage Sherlock Holmes book pages. Yes, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of how I made my name. I didn't know they were Sherlock Holmes. I just said, (laughs) he's drawing on these old book pages. (laughs) I have have so many. Well, I'll give you the context and then... Uh, I'll send you some photos. I'll send you one of them. Um, but the the context for these was I was on Tumblr and I wanted to understand the form of a jacket. I wanted to know how it sat on the shoulder, how it moved in the wind. Uh, when somebody tucked their hand in their pocket and, and the jacket got pulled back, what is that curve like? How does the lapel move? Right? What happens to the pocket? Is it is it a flap or a, or a bezum? And if it's jetted, like nothing really happens. But if the flap gets half tucked, like what does that fold look like? And I just wanted to understand all of this. And this is also how I began to understand the construction of a jacket. So I would just go on Tumblr, find images, and do these five-minute illustrations. Kind of just a brush in an inkwell. Draw. I would draw it out. And I was using paper. And I was just going fast. And I was just, like trying to internalize it. And I ran out of paper. But I had this book that was falling apart. I thought, <laughs> well, I need to keep going. So let me just take this book. And I was drawing on these pages and the book, those pages were terrible. But then I guess I had this vintage Sherlock Holmes book. So I started ripping those pages out. And it was, I think from the fifties or sixties, I have to double check, could be the forties. Anyway, back then they had a lot more pulp in the paper. Now it's a lot more plastic, but there was a lot of like actual pulp in the paper. So it acted more like watercolor paper. And I was like, oh, this is great. I could, I could move fast. I could do some interesting things on it. And it was beautiful. So I kept buying these vintage books mm-hmm. off of a books. And I still have at least one whole one, a couple of half ones. Um, and I just like ran through them exploring men's fashion. Wow. So first of all, I'm going to keep it real. I wish you would revisit doing the book pages because 
when I looked on your gram and I saw that your your drawings, your sketches obviously were more basic than your current style. So just one humble person's opinion. I would love to see where you are now artistically and use that medium again. I just hmm. think that would I just think that would be cool. Yeah, I like I like that's very interesting. I very specifically moved on. I was getting a name for being the guy who painted on book pages. Uh, I had people who were replicating it. Not not oh. that I was the first not that I was the first one to ever do it. I'm not saying I'm the first one to put paint to paper that wasn't i'm not the first but in men's fashion i was the the one doing it and then other people were replicating it i was like this is too easy it's too easy to cop this style i need to be sunflower man and i need to be the only sunflower man so i specifically moved on and what did you move on to what was the next iteration yeah i moved on to watercolor i mean watercolor has such a i mean it was all watercolor on the book pages but watercolor on paper was mostly where i transitioned and i it was something i fell in love with in high school so it was kind of a natural transition back to it but there's a rich history of watercolor painting on paper so i knew from the history this is something that can live beyond something that's kitsch right painting on book pages in the long run, that's just going to be a kitsch thing. Uh, it doesn't have the shelf life that I want to have as an artist. So paint on paper, done. So I transitioned to doing that. Um, and that's that's mostly what I'm doing now too. Do you ever do your watercolor on canvas? I do. Oh, I I don't do it a lot. But watercolor on canvas is actually very interesting. The, the technique to do it completely different than paper it watercolor sits on the surface of canvas it doesn't soak in so i can lay down the pigment on the surface of the canvas and i can just add water and move it all to the side i can pull it up i can mix a little bit more on top but it just sits on the surface it doesn't it doesn't soak in so it's a completely different technique to do it but it is gorgeous when it comes out right so the flip, when you mention paper, watercolor is absorbed into the paper, correct? Correct. And what other what other interesting things happen when you do watercolor on paper? Watercolor on paper is difficult. It is hard to master because the technique is very specific and it's not very forgiving, which for me, I was like, okay, not very many people are going to be able to do this. And, and again, going back to the book pages, like that was an easy style to just cop and do. Uh, so I thought, okay, not very many people are going to do this. And if they do, they're not going to do it that well. Probably. There are probably plenty of artists that could do men's fashion watercolor better than me. They just don't care about fashion. So I figured I could be the one to do it. So one of the unique things is it's very difficult to understand how the water is going to act on the surface of the paper. The pigment starts bleeding in all these different directions. How do you control it? I kind of love this chaos that you can put down on the paper and you don't control watercolor, you guide it, right? You you kind of say, here's what you should do. And then you give it the opportunity to fulfill that, uh, that goal that you have. And sometimes it doesn't. Every month when something important is going on, I send out my New York Fashion Geek newsletter to my fellow geeks. It drops on Fridays, and it offers a quick glimpse into the world of the fashion geek. I offer some tips, and it's a nice, breezy read. To sign up, 
Just head over to nyfashiongeek.com and fill out the welcome sheet. Hmm. So you mentioned you're, you're guiding it. You're not really controlling it. So as a result, again, for someone who has no art education, I feel that your current perspective when you're doing classic menswear, for me, it has somewhat of a surreal look to it. Is that wholly inaccurate? I would say that is wholly accurate. I, I think, um, depending on which work you're citing, but I, I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It is very surreal. When the, the hand is out of perspective or the proportions are just odd, this is all intentional and it is very surreal. Okay. Woof. All right. Nailed it. Oh. <laughs> Done in one. I don't know if I nailed it, but again, these glasses work. They work pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know how it is. It's the beat of the algorithm. I don't know how a few years ago you came onto my feed. I followed because I said to myself, this is really interesting. And then right around that time, and this was a few years ago, I don't know exactly when, when I connected with you, but right around that time, I'm looking at MR Magazine, and I said to myself, this is that guy. <laughs> That's right. So explain to me and the listeners, please, you kind of muddling around, trying to figure it out. Yep. And then all of a sudden, names are coming to you to work on commissions. Yeah, this is again where I, I would say Marcus Troy played a big role. He was facilitating this this uh, thing at Project Show, the big trade show, big magic trade show in New yep. York and Vegas called Project. And he was bringing in a bunch of bloggers. And I got roped into that as well as the fashion <laughs> illustrator. And uh, it opened up a lot of opportunities. I really can't discount at all the opportunities that came from that. And I, I even know that uh, so much of the time, the things that happened, somebody I've worked with said, oh, yeah, we met via project. And it doesn't make any sense to me how we met there and then connected much later somewhere else. But yeah, all this opportunity uh, every six months to go to Vegas in New York to be in the scene was hugely pivotal, especially with MR Magazine and, and getting that sort of role that I've done with them uh, on and off over the years. So did you reach out to any of these brands or these brands discovered you either through Project or through Instagram? How did you, how did you start making those connections and in essence level up? Yeah, I might meander here as I, I go through some thoughts. No, that's fine. That's fine. So, uh, number one, terrible at business. I think money is stupid. Uh, I would do my work no matter what. Like we've already discussed when I was homeless and had no money and no prospects, I was painting. That was my life. Uh, back when I believed in God, I made a pact with God and said, even if I'm homeless, uh, I will be a I will be still, I'll still be painting. It doesn't matter. That's what I'm doing. And that's not so much a pact with God as like a threat, I think maybe. <laughs> uh, but so that that's my life. But I'm terrible at business. I, I think uh, most of the time business has ruined the work that I do. 
And that's the caveat. But I, I know I have to make money and this is my life and I want to make money with my art. So I've done various things over the years, cold emailing, cold DMing. Oh. And sometimes that's good. And I, I look back on those times and think, maybe not the most productive. Sometimes it was beneficial. Most of the time, I think it was it was aggravating to people. So I've done that. Um, but also, you know, just getting exposed. Like I, I would illustrate bloggers or influencers and that would get me some exposure and some connections. And uh, that was a great way to be in the scene without having to try to be very businessy. Mm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, just being one of a handful of fashion illustrators in the menswear space, people know who you are. And I, I'm constantly surprised that so many people know who I am, even though I feel like I'm this this tiny guppy in a small pond in Fort Worth. Uh, it is surprising to me how often people already know who I am. Well, we got to let the listeners know how this interview happened because... Yeah. <laughs> so... A few months ago, I guess it was fourth quarter, I went to Chelsea Market for an event that had been shut down because of COVID and it got relaunched. And I took a friend of mine. And the event I'm talking about was called Wind Up. So that's the Warren, well, I always mess it up, Warren and Wound guys. Yep. And I, I remember when I literally stumbled onto that. I had some business across the street in Chelsea Market. And I always cut through Chelsea Market. I was at Milk <laughs> Studio. So anytime I'm at Milk Studio, I always go across the street and kind of breeze through, sometimes get something, usually not, kind of people watch, and then leave. And that's what I was doing. And I go through and I see this thing, and I'm like, watches. And I can't remember what cool-ass watch did I have on. Uh, it's the... I'm drawing a blank on the name. It's the Swiss Swiss watch that faces like the clocks in Europe at train stations. So I had that on. I went to that booth. I was like, hey, look what I have on. They're like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, you came for it. I was like, no, I didn't even know this was a thing. So, <laughs> so I checked it out and then followed on the gram. And I've gone ever since. And again, we hadn't had one because of COVID. So I'm there with my friend. I dragged him because he was thinking about buying a watch at the time. Big shout out to my boy, Matt Park. And because these glasses work well, I'm chatting up my friend. And I see this guy <laughs> with the brimmer. And That's I went, right. hey, Sunflower Man. <laughs> In which you were probably like, what the hell is this? <laughs> is this? But you were very nice. And we wrapped and we found out that you and my friend had a few things in common. And I was trying to be Mr. New York, Mr. New York host, because I always feel that way when someone's visiting. I knew you were visiting. Yeah. And also want to let the listeners know you had just been on my clubhouse room. That's right. Like days before. So I was also shocked. <laughs> I was like, what are, what are you doing here? Are you in Texas? You're like, well, let's get, we're going to have these planes. They're amazing. I flew in. <laughs> this new technology. <laughs> so I'm trying to be Mr. Host of New York. And I said, hey, hey, if you need anything and you want to hang out and you're like, no, actually, I'm going to the Big Watch show. <laughs> and uh, I went, oh, uh, I'm not going to that. I'm, I'm going food shopping, actually, after this. But you were very nice. You were very kind. I said to you, hey, I really would love to have you on. 
I don't know if you remember this, but you and my friend Matt started talking because his brother, who I know a little bit, who is in uh, Japan, found out that, hey, he's an artist, you're an artist. Matt is a frustrated artist, my boy Matt. <laughs> but there was something that I never forgot in the conversation that the two of you had that I'd like you to elaborate on. He said it to you and you totally agreed because his brother teased him because he didn't have this skill. Mm. The first line is the strongest. What does that mean? The first line is the strongest. I, I might flip this around because I, I think I remember remembering what you're talking about. And I think I remember slightly differently. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to say it from the way I remember it. Sure, please, please. Um, if I messed it up, I messed it up. No, no, no. And you, you, I may just be remembering it wrong. That's 90% probably what happened. But the way I remember it, because because I, I felt like I, I connected with it so well, is not necessarily that the first line is the strongest, but when you're critiquing another artist, when you see another artist's work, and you see the way they put lines on paper, you can tell how strong of an artist they are by the confidence you see in the lines. The lines can be one of a billion different ways, but you can see the confidence in a line that an artist puts down. And uh, I, I think that's what I was connecting with them on because it's it's so true. When, when, I, when I'm looking at an artist, one of the first things I, I see, um, and maybe it's not the line, maybe it's the brush stroke, but the way somebody approaches the canvas or the paper can tell you so much about their skill level. Sheesh. Yeah, I I have an untrained eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would well, just be looking around. Yeah, it's like anything though. It it's it's worthless to the world because it if you're a wine lover, you can talk about the nuances of wine with 0.1% of the population. When you are somebody who can draw well, you can talk about the nuances of drawing with 0.1% of the population. Uh, it, it matters almost not at all when it comes to marketing, when it comes to selling, when it comes to art appreciation. It's really like it's an insider conversation. Understood. I just found that so interesting that you guys connected that way. And I just politely listen because I had nothing to contribute. <laughs> now, let's uh, see. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. please. I, I would say I'm, I'm in that sort of conversation all the time. I know nothing about most things. So I love sitting near people who are knowledgeable and discussing something so I can gleam just maybe a tiny bit of that information. I totally agree. Now let's see if I botched this quote. I was doing some research, and I thought you said once, clothes are fashion, fashion is art. Mm. That sounds right. That sounds exactly right. I, I, have, I have multiple relationships with fashion and style and clothing, whatever. Art, art on the grand scale, and I'm probably hitting those T's too hard, and I apologize. Art on a grand scale is the creativity of the human mind. Now, obviously it's the application of the hand to something, but it's the creativity of the human mind. That's art. It's not, painting is not art. Painting is a version of art. Painting is one expression of art. 
uh, but a chef is an artist, an engineer is an artist, a mechanic is an artist, or they can be an artist. Not everybody who paints is an artist. I, I would go so far as to say very few people who paint are artists. Very few people who do anything are artists, but an artist can be literally anyone. So when I say fashion is art, when I when I look at somebody like Denny, Denny uh, Balmaceda, Denny623 on Instagram, he is an artist. The way he wears clothing, that is an artist. Every time I see him post, do something, uh, he has a lot of knowledge, but it's his art form, hands down. The way I wear clothes is an expression of me as an artist, but my fashion style is not very artistic. Does, I, I don't know if that expresses oh, what no, no, I mean. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, no, that I understand you clearly because usually I wouldn't do this, but I feel, particularly pre-COVID, when I'm putting on outfits, particularly classic menswear, but it doesn't have to just be within that realm, I feel to an extent that my expression is artistic in terms yeah. of my colors, my coordination. Patterns. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I feel that way. I mean, I, it's the humblest of brags, but I, I, I feel that way. Yeah, and I think you should feel that way. I I think anybody who has an amount of knowledge, who intentionally takes that knowledge and tries to apply it deliberately to their life in a new way or in a way to express a specific message, that is art. And I feel like so many of the people I appreciate in men's fashion are artists, not all of them, but so many of them. Uh, and I, I do my best to be an artist in this space with my clothing. Uh, I'm mostly just uh, copying things in a poor way. Uh, but yeah, it, it's an art. And then on top of that, the the engineer, right? If you go to Liverano and Liverano, he is an artist. The way he has been able to to hone his craft and have this very specific expression, uh, that is also an art. Well, this is another wonderful segue because I don't know how many times you have done this, but you are one of the few people I've actually ever spoken with who has been to Pity Elmo. Okay. How, yeah. How did all of that happen? Have you gone multiple times? Have you only gone once? And again, I think here my memory is sketchy, so please forgive me. Yeah, I think I saw sketches that you did while you were there at least one time. And I said, wow, well, he's been there too. <laughs> yeah, I've been very lucky in life. I, I, I can't deny it, right? Those early days back when I was uh, homeless and aimless, uh, I, I love to look back and then say, yeah, I, I got to go to Basel World. I got to go to Project. I got to go to Pitti Womo. I mean, for four years, my wife and I traveled uh, and lived on the road. What a great experience. And I'm 100% lucky. 100%. Uh, I took the opportunity, but it, there's so much luck involved. And, and I, I've been blessed in that way to, to live the life that I've been able to live. And one of those great experiences is Pitiwamo. I've been, uh, I'm going to say three times, but I'd have to double check. Wow. Uh, the most recent time being... Uh, January, February, 2020, when I also went up to Milan, when they were, before they realized it, in the very beginning of their their uh, coronavirus 
not scandal, but they there was a time early on, March, uh, April, when that area of Italy was the epicenter of the Western world right. for the coronavirus. I, Franklin Moss and I were just there in early February and flew back. And I got very sick after, after we got back. Oh. And I think that was because I didn't take care of myself. But I can't I can't 100% rule out that I that I didn't have covid uh way back in February. I don't think it's true because none none of the rest of my family got sick afterward and they definitely would have. Uh but I can't rule it out 100%. But yeah, that was the last time I was at Pitti was that like just before covid took over the world. Jeez. Well, well you're in Texas so you know, no big deal. Right. We're free and clear here. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yeah. I no, it's fine. Yeah. No. Uh, again, that's the irreverence. I, but I live it every day. I live it every day. And, and you're 100% right to uh, to mock us here in Texas. Yeah, I'm going to. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to punch down or look down. It's more about throwing my hands up. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. So, getting back to bumping into you at Wind Up, you were, and I know you were going to your big watch show, you know, versus the little old. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, you want to hang out?" No, uh, no, I've got other things to do. And, <laughs> oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Um, but you, I had a friend. A big shout out to Stella Watches, who had a booth. But you were about to do a live event painting uh, with Jonathan at Brew Watch. Yeah. Yeah. Love Brew Watches. I love I do Brew too. Watches. Uh, Jonathan, please come on the pod and I'm going to have you help me with that. I'm putting you on the spot, Sunflower. <laughs> he said he would and I reached out to him and I know he's a busy guy. But I think his story is very interesting. So why don't you do a two for one? Show your love to brew watches, but explain to us and the listeners you doing a live event painting in which you're looking at a watch and you're going to town. Yeah, I uh, live event painting has, has been a big part of the business for for a while. So painting, I, well, step back to my early childhood. I'm one of five kids, and I would draw in the van in the living room at church, like oh. literally everywhere. I was I was constantly not intentionally, but constantly performing my artistic talent to, to the world around me. So that's just been a part of my life. So going to an event like this is, is so much fun. So Jonathan invited me out and I said, absolutely. This, this is great. An opportunity to visit New York after a couple of years and to do something with brew, because I, I love what Jonathan is, is doing with the brand, with the products. So yeah, we just sat down. I pulled out some paper and some watercolors, and we did a, a live painting of the Brew Watches metric chronograph, which at that exact time, he had just done another uh, another production of it and launched the second uh, production of the metric, and it sold out like 15 minutes, something crazy like that. Mm. Uh, he's about to launch another one. He just posted it on his Instagram, so he's just about to, and I don't know when this is going live, so people probably lost it, the chance, but... Uh, it's about to go live again on Friday. Um, so he's about to do another production. And it's going to go fast. And uh, Jonathan and I have known each other for years. I was, I was, he reached out to me really early on over, over coffee. Cause I love coffee. I'm obsessed and addicted and 
if I could live another life, it would be a coffee life. And we connected over coffee uh, and watches. And so I've just known him through basically the whole journey of brew watches this last six or seven years. I'm not entirely sure how long it's been now, but uh, that whole time I've had the opportunity to see him grow and expand and, and really just become like a darling of the watch world. Yeah. And rightfully so just as a human being, one of the nicest people you will ever meet sincere, but also remembers everyone's names. And Oh my God, what a skill because I can't remember anyone's name or face. And it's really disastrous most of the time. But Jonathan just remembers and he's so sincere and loves everyone. Just a great human being who also has made an amazing, wonderful brand called Brew Watches. Yeah, I love that watch, man. And I told him that. I had just followed him on the gram maybe just a few weeks prior to bumping into both of you at Wind Up. And if you recall, because I normally don't do this, I thought what you were doing was so cool. And I've seen you, you know, put up a story, put up a video. I said, well, I'm going to do that for a little bit. So I turned on the phone and watch you do your thing and then uh, posted it with your blessing. But I just thought that was really, that was really cool. I've never, you know, I never saw you really there in your element. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love doing, especially with Jonathan because he's so, he's so easy, but he's like, I just love what you do, do what you want. I was like, Oh, okay. I don't usually get that much freedom. So I just, just do what I want. I did a sort of surreal piece. Like I, I um, am doing more and more. And it was the metric chronograph uh, with a version of Jonathan wearing it on the page. That's cool. Sunflower Man, why is fashion important? Oh, yeah. So this is this is where we uh, we get into areas of fashion that I think people with more knowledge can answer it better. Uh, and I can really only speak for myself and say that fashion is important because it's how we express ourselves to the world on a daily basis. That is fine. I'm only looking for your answer. What difference has fashion made in your life? Oh man. I remember going way back to our Atlanta stories when I was wearing jackets and ties and I was, I was wearing it confidently, even though I probably shouldn't have been, uh, I was wearing it confidently <laughs> And I would sit in coffee shops and people would come in and they would see me and they would smile. And I was, that, that blew me away because nobody would see me and smile, but they saw, I was like, well, I was wearing a jacket and a tie. And I was like, that's literally the only difference. And it happened over and over again. And that, that changed my life. I, I realized people see you differently when you present yourself in a specific way. And I know it's different in different contexts, but for me, the suit, and the tie changed my life. Yeah, I understand that completely. What's the top fashion tip you would give the everyday man so he could look his best? Be confident. That's it. Back to that story we just had. I had no reason to be confident, except I was exploring and learning and trying to find what worked for me. And I just went out into the world and wore it proudly, even though I've changed everything about myself from that moment. <laughs> Uh, but confidence is everything. Confidence is everything. Yeah, I would agree. I've been confident all my life, I feel. And that's <laughs> yeah. a story for another day. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, <laughs> that's real talk. 
So what does always be fly mean to you? I don't know. Always be fly. Uh, probably a phrase that's not as natural for me. But if I'm saying, if I was saying that to somebody, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very boring and go back to the idea of being confident, confident with humility. If, if fashion, like the one number one fashion tip is be confident, right? To be fly. I think you want to be confident with humility, approach everyone around you with care and love. Um, and just, you know, treat people like people because confidence can sometimes, uh, beget arrogance. And I don't think that's very fly. No, no, it's not. Sunflower man representing the DFW. Hmm. Hmm. And really the world. Sunflower man is using his artistic skills in the realm of men's fashion and men's watches. He has a distinct style that clearly sets him apart. It's striking, colorful, and vibrant. You can find him on Instagram as Sunflower Man. All one word. I wish him well in his endeavors. I wish I could afford him. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun and are down for another one. Please tell a friend who could use some fashion help about the podcast or share an episode with them directly. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, if you constantly struggle putting an outfit together and are looking to turn that confusion into confidence, I'd love to talk about how we can improve your life. Check me out at nyfashiongeek.com and email me at reg at nyfashiongeek.com for a consultation. A special shout goes to our producer, Search, and everyone down with the Fashion Geek Podcast. If you have a story suggestion, you can email me at podcast at nyfashiongeek.com or hit me up on the Insta at New York Fashion Geek. And remember, always be fly.